Welcome to Nostalgia Ultras, the football podcast still living of past glories. I'm your host, Steve McGovern, and I'm delighted to be joined by Daryl Garrity, football writer for the likes of the Irish Daily Mail, extratime.ie, and the footballfaithful.com. How's it going, Daryl? Are you surviving the pandemic? Yeah, yeah, it's going well. It's uh, business as usual, really, with the job. So, um, yeah, not, not too much has changed, and uh, yeah, delighted to be asked on. Great to have you on. Good to hear that your your life hasn't been disrupted as as, as it has for for some people. But for those that don't know, Daryl, you're also a bit of a Spanish football aficionado and a, a Barcelona supporter, which is handy when it comes to the topic of of today's podcast, which is all about you know the the 2009 Champions League final between Manchester United and that brilliant Barcelona team under Pep Guardiola. A little bit later, we'll hear from David Snade to talk about the United side of the story. And his wild adventure to the match itself in Rome. Uh, but first, Daryl, uh, I wanted to ask how long you've been a follower of Barcelona. Did this match in particular solidify it for you? Or were you a fervent fan of the Catalan club growing up as a kid, kind of like myself? Yes, probably growing up like yourself, probably going to show me a little bit here. But I remember watching the uh, the Ronald Koeman final, the 95 free kick against Sampdoria. I was allowed to stay up late and watch a bit of that. And then moved on to... Euro goals on Eurosport on Monday evening. So, yeah, going back a bit there, but that's where the love started. Just uh, watching the technical ability of the players and seeing that it playing a different sport at times to what we were watching in the UK at that time in Ireland. So, that's kind of where it started. And then as Sky picked up La Liga, it just grew and grew from there. So, it's a bit funny doing a nostalgia podcast about like an event that doesn't really feel that long ago. But it's over a decade now, so that's kind of our excuse. What was it like being a Barca fan in those kind of intermittent years, like between Champions Leagues? Because obviously, I think for a while, Barcelona actually had a bit of a reputation for bottling it in the the European Cup and never had that consistency, I suppose you'd say, that they have in the last like decade and a half. Yeah, at the time, the expectation wasn't really there. You were treated moments of magic more than a consistent challenge for titles all the time. Getting the force one in the bag on the right card was, was massive. That kind of start bringing Barca into the newer era. But yeah, it, just, it was more enjoyable. Our expectation, I think, was probably the best way of describing it. So we come to, to 2009 and you know, it's funny. They almost didn't make the final because like, you know, they were losing in that game to Chelsea in the second leg and it only took like an unbelievable Iniesta goal in injury time it's Iniesta oh, and no. the Chelsea fans cover their eyes in horror two minutes from time and it's heartbreak at Stamford Bridge Iniesta rattles one in and suddenly in the minute and a half that remains Chelsea find themselves needing another goal like the drama obviously that followed with Drogba and everything like that it must be one of the most mental semi-finals uh and we've seen a few actually in recent years but, but that one before before all the like ridiculous comebacks of the of the previous years like that match was just mental oh it's crazy it was such a battle and the thought at the time where i really don't know if this new age barcelona has that toughness in them you kind of knew from watching them throughout the season that they keep playing their ball they keep playing the same way but physicality that was just ran down their throats basically I didn't think they were going to survive but then when the goal went in I think she just exploded jumping on my mom's couch 
and a walk came over me. But I just, yeah, at the time, I just didn't think they were, were quite there to get past such an, an opposing side. So what were the kind of expectations ahead of the final? Because the previous year, things had kind of ended really, uh, you know, ugly with, with Rijkaard leaving. And then, you know, they, they appointed Pep Guardiola. I remember reading it at the time, how like, you know, Barcelona fans were like annoyed that they had, or at least some of them were annoyed that they had hired Guardiola when Jose Mourinho was available there and then to take up. And obviously he had connections with the club in the past and stuff like that. Then all of a sudden, you know, they're on course for a treble. So what, what were the expectations? Were they relatively low or were they still quite high? I think the way the Rijkaard era ended um, and when Guardiola was appointed, it seemed like a weight was lifted or kind of a breath of fresh air was sent through the club. I do absolutely remember fans questioning the Mourinho snowball most looking into it. Then when you hear stories around the appointment itself, you hear that the influence of Cruyff again saying this is almost Cruyff 2.0 and this is the choice. So it was very brave board to even make that decision because Mourinho had the track record. But the style of football the Barca B were playing at the time was sensational as well. So it was a big step. But my overall feeling from my side was freshness. Like we all know the story of the clear out with party boys, Deco, Ronaldinho. But they lost, I think, Taran retired, Sambrata was sold. And Milton was gone. So this is years and years of experience and serial winners walking out the door. So you're kind of excited that was a, a new era, but cautious that you lost so much talent as well. So it was exciting, I thought, anyway. Yeah, but, I mean, like, it would probably be scary as well for some fans because, like I said, a lot of big hitters there going. And they still had a lot of big names, to be fair, like Henri. And obviously, I think Xavi was well-known at that stage. Messi, obviously, was coming through, was still quite young at that stage. And, you know, a lot of big names still in the team. So I think that's a good point there to, to kind of go on to the lineups there. I mean, I, I look at it and I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is a... You forget how good this team was sometimes, you know, because it's so far in the past now. At the time it almost felt boring because they dominated so much. But now I look back and I'm like, oh man, I wish we could see that team in full flow again. So obviously Victor Valdez was in goal. Uh, Silvino at left back. PK, former Man United man himself, in centre back. Alongside Yaya Torre, which was uh, an interesting choice. And then Poyal plays uh, right back. And then obviously midfield, you have the classic trio of Iniesta, Busquets, Xavi, and then the front three of Henri, Etu, and Messi. So was there anything there that, that stood out for you in that lineup, the Barcelona one? Yeah, I remember the lead up to the game and trying to find team news from wherever I could. And hearing that <laughs> they were missing <laughs> basically some of the back four. Abel suspended, I think Alves suspended, Marquez, I think that was well. Pui was playing injured because going back to that the 106-2 game, he was basically told he needed surgery even before then. So he was playing with injury. Torre had to drop into centre-half. Iniesta, I think, was still cropped as well. So Yeah, Iniesta had, I think he was told by the doctor, wasn't it, that it was like, don't shoot powerfully. Like, don't shoot yeah. from range because you're going to do your, your calf muscle or whatever it was again. That's it, yes. Yeah. So going into the game, I was nervous at that, to be honest. Like, I knew what you were doing in the league and the style of play and but the lineup and going into the game, you're just thinking ah, maybe these injuries just came at the wrong time or the end of a long season because they did win pretty much everything on, on offer that season and it was a long stretch. So, but yeah, going in, I was more nervous, nervously excited than expected to win. So 
jumping out of me was Ray going into the back um, and how I think Ronaldo might have just gone up against him to try punish it. So, yeah, very nervous a few hours yeah. beforehand. So The United lineup was as follows. It was Van der Sar in goal, uh, John O'Shea at right back, Ferdinand and Vidic, of course, in centre of defence, Patrice Evra left back. So that, I mean, like that is... You know, a strong a United backline, I think, as we had seen during that decade. And then in midfield, Anderson, Carrick, Giggs, and then kind of a front three. But but really, it was it was the two behind Ronaldo up front, uh, Jisung Park and Rooney. So relatively strong United team, although they were missing Darren Fletcher. I think that was uh, one of the questions, actually, we, we had for you, which was, um, it was James Garrity. Is this guy a, a relative of yours? Yeah, yeah, he's a younger brother. He's a United <laughs> fan and a Real Madrid fan, so... Wasn't it a great evening for him? <laughs> no, absolutely not. He basically sent in a tweet to us saying, a lot has been made of it, but does this go- game go differently with Darren Fletcher in United's midfield? And I remember watching the semi-final and, and Darren Fletcher getting sent off and it, it was like, Jesus, that's that's actually going to kill them. Cause it, and it was funny thinking about that about Darren Fletcher because for ages he had seemed like, like just like kind of like a spare player kind of guy who was dependable, but you know he wasn't anything special. And then, but he kind of came into his own that season and he put in a great performance for United in the Champions League that's, that year and all of a sudden he was gone. And I do remember at the time, especially as the match was going, it's like, Jesus, they missed Fletcher. What do you think? Do you think he would have made any difference whatsoever? I think in the grand scheme of things, maybe not, but I don't think Barca would have had that as easy. I remember going in, seeing the United side without Fletcher. I think Anderson and Park and thought. Anderson did have good games, especially against Arsenal and came up against Fabregas for like playing against him. So I thought him and Jason Park might have just covered it a bit better than they did. But one of those things, you just don't realise the value of a player like that until they're not there. But overall, I think Barcelona might not have had it so easy. But the evening, the, the heat, the way Barca kept the ball, I think they would have just kept finding those little pockets around Man United's tree in midfield when Messi was dropping deep. So... They wouldn't have had it as easy, definitely not, but I think they would have just got there in the end. Do you think they would have been better off starting Carlos Tevez? Because he only came on at half time. And I could just imagine him, like, he would give Barcelona a lot of problems, like, from the off. And, you know, United had a couple of chances early on. Like, I could just imagine someone, him with his energy and his hustle and bustle and his ability on top of that. Like, you know, he could snatch a goal from anywhere, really. Yeah, definitely. I think he, he would have made a difference. If Ferguson thought about it again, maybe he would have restructured the front line. Maybe Tevez deeper on Busquets and kind of gets around him to stop him dictating from deep. Maybe that would disrupt things as well. It might be him parking there. But yeah, like when you step the bench for you, it was kind of ridiculous. You know, it's all attacking. But again, you have to balance it out to what Barca have then forward. So it wasn't the position for Ferguson to be in. So Barcelona got off to a, a kind of a slow start and we found out since uh, the uh, the Take the Ball, Pass the Ball documentary came out and you or I were at um, a, a live screening in, in Dublin last year for this. <laughs> and before the game, basically Pep Guardiola had organised kind of like a hype video to be set up and Thierry Henry describes it as like, this, this video was so powerful. I would say it's so powerful. It was too powerful because... It got them all G'd up, but it got them to the point where they were almost in bits and they were ready to cry. And as well as that, they weren't able to prepare because the video was being set up. So they only had like two minutes to prepare before going out. And then apparently, who was it? Uh, Bocelli was singing before the match. 
and then, and then so they're all getting emotional and everything like this which just seems like a fucking mental do you think do you think uh, Guardiola messed up there yeah I think they all hold their hands up and think of back for kind of switching to such extreme emotions of like determination pumping yourself up for a game to pull out the heartstrings and then to switch back then into game mode you know looking back was probably a mistake and I think he'd hold his hands up but it's just one of those stories and just make shows off peppers about that he's always thinking outside the box looking for the next thing a little, little edge that will give us players going into games like this so yeah definitely a mistake which almost cost them the first 10 minutes but lucky enough they got settled pretty quick yeah i mean it's mad to think now the the first few minutes how they just weren't i'm not even sure if, if barcelona really had any shots in the in the first half i watched a bit of a back but i mean they, they had nothing of note really in the first nine minutes before the first goal but were you surprised by united's game plan because it seemed to me that th- their entire plan at least attacking wise was to give it to cristiano ronaldo and let him shoot on site and shoot from anywhere that he pleased it was and it was just the fact that it was so telegraphed as well because you know we could see him doing it in the warm-ups he was hitting practice shots from far out so everyone could see what the plan was so like we could see it at home people in the stadium could see it and the, and surely you know the you know pep guardiola and his technical staff could see what the idea was and i i still don't understand why ferguson thought that that was the way to go you know why he came up with something so simplistic when like we said i mean you can't predict the final, so you could, you could hardly have predicted that Barcelona would be slow with the traps. But I was just thinking, like, if they had slowed it down, you know, played around Barcelona maybe a little bit when they got into the final third, they could have created some better chances for them. So were you surprised, kind of, that was the game plan? Yeah, it was, especially having seen so much of United that year. I thought, going forward, they were outrageous at times. So to kind of retract back some much to a five-man midfield, I know you have to worry about Barca's midfield, but... At the time, you could see from the kickoff, Barca just weren't there. They delay his look in their eyes, and I thought to, to stick with that at the start, maybe Ferguson could have said, oh, push one or two more closer to Ronaldo, but to let him have that freedom, and what, like I know you could pull Magic out of the hat, that's fair enough, but you kind of have that if that's their game plan, just one guy's trying to try to shoot from anywhere, then you know you're happy that plays into you. And I think when Barca realized that after they got the fourth goal, that settled down as well to think well this is what we're going to come up against for the next 80 minutes so I was very surprised considering what United had on offer going forward but obviously delighted on the other hand so yeah I mean that's a great point because can you imagine any other team going into a match like that because I think I think Ferguson definitely respected Barcelona and I think he realized that they were exceptional on the ball that they would probably keep United out of possession so I assume maybe he was he was probably game planning for that but it was like it was like giving a, a team too much respect you know what I mean like imagine any other side to, you know who had a front three that was as devastating as the front three as they had in Rooney Ronaldo and Tevez and then just saying actually we're just well, for this match we're not going to have our strongest front line and we're going to you know basically pack the midfield and try to win through you know maybe making a bit of magic or something like that and hopefully we get you know it's, it just seems um it's i feel like he gave them too much respect and united were were kind of punished out of i mean the the first goal comes out of fucking nowhere you know Bar- like we said barcelona weren't in it and then all of a sudden samuel Eto'o is through on goal shoots past edwin van der sar and from there there was only one team in it this is iniesta though Oh, Eto's opened it up. Well, how about that for smash and grab? It's been all Manchester United. But after nine minutes, Samuel Eto'o. Crown 
Jones, the first real attack. Wow. So it was a move in the midfield when we started to see the false nine come in uh, when Messi was dropping deep to create the 4v3 in the middle. And when people say that the ticky tackle phrase and, you know, it got bored and passing for no reason. But you see, Messi dropped in to give the extra man, played the 1-2 Iniesta, which took kind of character towards Messi. That opened up the gap and for Iniesta just to glide through, I think it was Carrick and Anderson, and play the ball to, to Etu. And, you know, to finish... It's what he's been doing his whole career, like even watching him. It's his clips of him early doors at Mallorca and his pace was ridiculous. But it's how early he shot and how powerful. You know, you sit, but again, you still expect the keeper of Van der quality to do better. But, you know, that the whole move itself was like the whole side kind of clicked and said, oh, this is what Pep was trying to get us to do. You know, Messi comes in deep, the two white men running behind into the channels and it worked straight away. So... You know, if Messi doesn't drop in that extra pass or that people just think is passing for no reason, that's where the goal like, comes from, from that midfield one two. You know what I mean? So when people talk about the picky attack, it's just passing for no reason kind of <laughs> annoys me after a while. But that was a perfect example of how and what you do, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think anyone who, who kind of doubts the idea, because obviously tiki taka was like a, a term invented, you, you know, as a as a derogatory term, really, as a pejorative for kind of that Spanish way of playing, particularly the Barcelona way of playing. But I think if you watch that final, like they absolutely starve United of the ball, they suffocate them, and they're not in the game at all. So well, they were killed right from yeah. that moment. The heat was was a very warm night as well. So like you had like you're chasing the ball for that amount of time. It's going to drain you. So, you know, it's, it was caught behind it. You know, it's the derogatory term that developed over the years. But at that time, it just was a perfect example. And then you remember the weird celebration from Etu and then slapping his arm. You think he's <laughs> giving a nod to intravenous drug users. <laughs> you don't know. But then, like, you realize that he was, like, I think it was a dedication to his, his father. Like, So I remember watching at the time going, that was a weird celebration. You know, you've just scored a Champions League final and you're slapping your arm. But it was, uh, it was a good moment, moment or more, I think, more relief. Because right after that, I'm trying to remember back, he was Vidic played a, a bad pass that went over a corner. And you looked around the United team, kind of a collective sigh of, like, oh, it's going to be a long night. They have the lead. One, are going to be... You know, the head's kind of dropped from there. Well, that was, and that was my viewing of it anyway, so... We'll hear from David Snade later, but he said being at the match that it wasn't like it was warm, but it wasn't so weltering hot, you know, to the point where, you know, where the players would be feeling the effects of it. I think it was more so just the fact that Barcelona just passed around them and and they just had no clue how to deal with it. And eventually they were worn out. The, The funny thing is that Barcelona didn't really make a count on the scoreboard. So... There was kind of that feeling. It's like oh, if they just get the if, if they just get a chance, you know, maybe United could do something. But I mean, then Messi scores the goal, and you know, it's unbelievable. Your brother as well. He he compared it to uh, Michael Jordan. There's a lot of people yeah. watching the the Last Dance at the minute, which I think it's an interesting comparison. But like he absolutely leaps in the air, loses his boot in the process, heads it over the head of uh, Van der Sar. It's just an unbelievable goal. It's Messi. He's scored against an English club now. It's Manchester United at a crucial, crucial time with 20 minutes to go. Well, early in this build-up, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo and Patrice Evra make a right mess of this on the halfway line. 
and Puyol steals in. And then from there, I still think Patrice Evra, if he's got a bit about him, don't just throw your foot. The passing from Barca, I think it was uh, one of George Hamden's greatest ever lines when he said it's not poetry in motion, it's geometry in motion. Yeah. And that, that saying stuck with me for years. So you could see Barca were killing him. Even going into half time, you know, the players look tired. I don't think the, the Rooney or Giggs, I mean, whoever was trying to be number 10, was working, dropping deep. So you, and then I think that's the kind of plays into the, the goal itself because it was that gap between O'Shea and Ferdinand. I think Henri exploited just after half time and he should have scored, but he has trouble scoring in finals, which we know. But I don't know if it was a plan to target that, but that was just where the, the gaps were opening up. So that gap plus the tiredness behind United because you see the clearance from Everett, I think it was, it was a volley half cleared towards. Xavi takes then Ronaldo kind of like a half arse attempt to get back, put him under pressure. But he has all day to pick a spot. And you think if they haven't been passed to death, will they get that much time or United that labour that they can close it down? And then the header itself is like, he almost gets ahead of the ball and has to kind of form a contortionist act to get back and head a loop over Van der Sar. And then there's iconic celebration. So you can see where he's going with the Michael Jordan comparison, but I don't think it's aesthetically pleasing as Air Jordan. You know, I don't think that image of Messi heading the ball from behind them will make onto runners quite like uh, Air Jordan did. So it was quite uh, fitting, though, that it was it was Javi and Iniesta that set up both goals because although they had been two very important players for Barcelona even before that season. I think they had kind of gone under the radar a bit. So I think it was very fitting that it was those two that, that came up with the assists on the United. Yeah, definitely. And even before the season started, I think Xavi was saying that he had a number of offers on the table. And he actually went to see Guardiola to say, look, am I part of the plan to have these offers? And that's when Guardiola convinced him that, you know, I have these three or four game plans, you're the main man in each one. So he kind of put those two as front, front and centre of the whole midfield and obviously with Busquets as well, that angle was basically where all the formations were built around. So, yeah, it was definitely, they were definitely put on that next level, and Guardiola helped do that as well. So, it could have been totally different, you know, Etienne who scored the first, could have been gone. If Guardiola was at the start of the season, Xavi could have pushed for a move. So, yeah, it was definitely a great game plan to put them as the focal point in the middle of all the game plans he was trying to introduce. You, you mentioned the phrase there, pass to death. And that was that's kind of like the you know the term that's gone around, you know, death by a thousand passes when it comes to uh, Barcelona. How unique, even from a Barcelona perspective, because I don't think we'd ever seen really a team do it to the extent that, that they had in the detail that Guardiola had set them up in as well. You know, the, United really got hammered on this night. You know, it was, it, they got totally torn apart. And I just, I can't think of another match like it. You know what made it unique for me was there was still doubt going into the game because United were still a powerhouse and a really tops United side, and it was this if more like um what made it unique was this the statement that they made on the world stage because you could see them throughout the season you could see what they were building towards you could see the the four v trees and the all around the pitch the recovery of the ball so quick and having the extra men in that area so it was off from the training ground, which the players themselves have said they couldn't believe it was they doing training was working so well on the pitch. But so unique was it worked at every level from the Copa del Rey, the Super Cups, all the way through to the Champions League final. It was like a, a statement to the world to say, game has changed now. This is the new wave. 
that's what stood out for me on the on the night overall. At one point early on in the game, actually, the the camera pans uh, to a few people in the crowd, but one of them that comes up is uh, Johan Cruyff, and I almost forgot that he was actually still alive at this point because he's been gone, you know, a good yeah. few years now. And I actually I saw him come up, and I was like, Jesus, there's Johan Cruyff, like. But obviously, he was the major influencer in this club, like in, in what they are today. Yeah, exactly. Even got back from to get him pep job, it was like the reincarnation because obviously Cruyff had the dream team, and you know you could see. On the basic rondos that they had started back in the 80s and 90s, you know, it was kind of the rondos were being portrayed on the 11 side pitch. So you get 4v2 in a situation, you keep the ball, you can move it quicker. You get 4v3s or, or how it grows then onto the bigger pitches. But to see Cruyff, even going back to the worst game of the season when they lost to Nomancia, I think it was Jordi Cruyff was telling the story of it was dealt already about Pep from that game, but they lost to Nomancia, which never. Usually happen, but Cruyff himself saying that it was one of the best games he's seen in I don't know how many years. So he could he could see the bigger picture, and he could see it was almost his vision of what he wanted football to be with Guardiola is just touches and little additions. So it must have been a proud night for for the boss. It's so Johan Cruyff to say like, oh yeah, that that defeat to Numancia, that's the best game I've seen in years. It's like the people who say like, oh, do you know what? I love a good nil all draw. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you kind of, most other people you you kind of laugh at, but then if he says something like that, then you know he's seen something different or something you haven't seen or your picture in in kind of a partner play. And obviously that's what makes him maybe so great. But he could see this kind of stuff. That's probably why we're not at the level of Don Cruyff in, in coaching or <laughs> there's a playing. So kind of had to lean to give him the benefit of the doubt on that one. One of the things that I know wrecks your head and, and has been said countless times in the years after, which was, you know, p- people would say like, well, sure, anybody could have won with that team. You know, my granny could have, you know, won the Champions League with that Barcelona squad. Shall we pick apart the reasons why that's complete and utter bollocks? Yeah, look, we've kind of touched on, on this already. Like, even before this new wave had started, or this era had started, it could have been all over because from the first day, Jose... Could have got the job. Then the main team then that season was Pep and his decision. So the players convinced Pep to keep Etu, who turned out to be the top scorer in the league that year, second overall. And he could have been gone. So you're losing then the big name players like Ballon like Ronaldinho, the experience, these players. Like it's a whole it's a whole new generation of players coming through. And on one hand, as the player said, it was it was great to have that fresh freshness or that injection to the team. Again, still a huge, huge gamble. There was so much risk involved when the easy choice was there in front of them. Then you know you have the bad start in the Mancy again, and the draw away, and then there was some weird looks from the crowds already. But they chose to kind of now they're back in their man. So you know it's it's so easy just to say these players are great, but you know. Well, just look at the year before. Like, I mean, you know, they finished third, which meant they had to go through the qualifying route for the Champions League. So, I mean, they weren't exactly imperious like like they have been in the last decade. You know, the the team was kind of coming apart at the seams under Frank Rijkaard. You know, like, I I don't think a lot of people were getting on. And as well as you look at that, they they made it to the semi-finals of the Champions League, but they had actually lost to Man United the year beforehand. And you compare and contrast the two performances. Really, yeah. That semi-final, you know, Barcelona can't really lay a glove on Man United. And United are able to keep them at, at arm's reach. Fast forward a year and it's just complete 
480 flip nearly. Yeah, it's a difference. Mark almost even in a short time. And if you were to put, if you were to go back to that time and you look at the names on the Barca squad compared to the United squad and to Barcelona lost, you'd say right away, just from watching them, you'd say, right, look, we, that's looks like a weaker squad. Again, that Pep, that's what Pep wanted, and that's he could mold it into his vision. But at the time, you weren't thinking that this is going to be this team at the start of the season. You lost in the man, they're going to go on and win six trophies. You know, the names, Busquets isn't established. Pedro doesn't play either. Etios, he's is he gone. Zomri coming towards the end. You know, it's just so many question marks at the time. So much pressure that, you know, it's, you, just didn't, you just didn't see it coming. So to say that, they sh- that Aaron could have won it is a ridiculous statement. I spoke to football writer and Man United fan David Snade to ask him about his experience at the final in Rome. So, David, you were at this match. What made you decide to uh, take the trip to Rome? Well, obviously, this this would have been prior to obviously becoming a full time kind of walking journalist. So, obviously, I would be a Manchester United supporter, and at that point, I still had it. I still had my season ticket at Old Trafford. So, I'd, I'd say I went through obviously 2009. So, it's eleven, it's 11 years ago. So, I think I was. Yeah, I was 20. I was 21. 21 when I went to that game and I think I'd say from the ages of about 17 to 21 I pretty much spent every single cent I had going to watch Manchester United and going over and, and, and stuff like walking so every, every second week you were going from Dublin no, to nearly Manchester week, nearly every <laughs> week I was going to away games and eventually right. got, a se- got a season ticket and then um, we actually moved to Manchester then in 2009 in the summer of 2009 and because I got involved, but obviously, look at all teams got involved. Obviously, with the fans in United, we stand um, around the time when the Glazers take over around 2005. Because I think that kind of it was a big thing, a big political thing. Obviously, with what was happening with the club and that kind of piqued more of my interest. And I kind of began to be- become mates, get mates over there in England, get to know lads over there. And that's why I was able to go over. I wasn't staying in hotels if it was there. Like actually, actually, one of my this is actually mad, right? So, one of my closest mates now ran a nightclub in Manchester. It's now now gone. It was in the print works called called Opus. Absolutely horrible place. That place just full of absolute posers. For sure, I used to go in there and get free drink and all the rest of it. So, I'll be on the first, the last flight out of Dublin on a Friday, maybe after college or whatever. And uh, I'd be uh, going straight to the nightclub. But I got to know him basically by getting introduced to him in Piccadilly train station a couple of years before that. It would have been around maybe 2006, 2007. And uh, turns out that his younger brother would be was would have been a close mate of mine and played for kind of the same club in uh, in Luke and Eskerself the growing up, and it was just just mad. So yeah, so that's I, I was sort of obviously at that point then just going over by myself all the time, meeting lads then and and like obviously having the crack and I was blessed that 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 season I'd say. What season? Oh six, oh seven, oh seven, oh eight. Where I'd say almost I got to every away game. I didn't, but I got to quite quite a few in in the UK, and obviously went over to went abroad as well, until like San Siro and stuff like that. A few places like Munich and stuff. But uh, I actually got lucky in the ballot. I had I had enough credit, had enough credits, and I remember lying on my couch, absolutely raging that because I had everything booked. A group of mates were going off to Pisa and spending a bit of time in Pisa because not too far away. 
um, for that final. And I was like, I had everything booked for it. I was like, well, I'm gonna go over regardless, no matter what. And it was getting closer and closer. And I hadn't actually hadn't actually kind of um, been confirmed that I had a ticket. And it was I think it was actually I, I remember I was trying to remember this because I was chatting to me me dad about it. It was the week the week I was going out. Said that the ticket had arrived, but my dad, in fairness, when well, we ended up, <laughs> my dad's a Liverpool fan, but he ended up going to the post office, the sorting office, I think it was on the Font Hill Road near my house in Lucan, and collected the ticket on the day I was travelling to the match, going to Pisa to Rome. I spent a couple of days before the match, and uh, so it was a bit, of a, whir- a bit of a whirlwind. And then obviously the day of the game, the match itself. It was, a, it was a mad time. If you remember that time, obviously United had knocked Roma out of the Champions League the season before that, and really hockeyed them like seven one at Old Trafford and stuff. And but there'd been a bit, a good bit of st- uh, a good bit of aggro in the away game before prior to that. Like there'd been lads going kind of beaten up. Actually, knew a fellow had his arm broken by some of the Roma ultras or whatever on this bridge, this infamous bridge leading to the Stadio Olimpico. So. It was a strange time because I remember, like, I don't know if it was because it was United again or if, I can't, if it was just because it was an English club, but they basically said that Rome was going to be uh, alcohol free, that there'd be no alcohol. So uh, it was a group of us. Um, we stayed in peace. It was just, this is my picturesque place. It's unbelievable. It was like out in the countryside and it was, it was no one else there. It was these lovely little apartments and we were like pretty much had the place to ourselves. And then we were leaving that to go to Rome and literally buying all these cans of Peroni because we were all convinced there was going to be no drinks sold. And then get to Rome, Termini Station, and then there's just loads of United fans. And then you walk across the road and there's fellas serving drink with your, with your pizza and stuff and just having a walk around. And, and then the game. And then I think the first seven or eight minutes of the match, they were great. And then after that, it was just crap. <laughs> like, kind of, I've never... So, so we go back to that then before the game were you feeling pretty confident because obviously United were already the reigning champions you know everyone was talking about this as being possibly the best United team of all time and they're coming yeah. up against Barcelona who had a history of choking in Champions League finals so yeah, was like, there I'm confidence like, kind of among you and your friends I might even like I know this sounds I don't mean this this is it, but genuinely it wasn't all I wasn't even really thinking about the match. Right. Like I genuinely wasn't thinking like that. I was just like at that point, it was just like I was in Italy with my mates. I'd already, had, as far as I was concerned, before even I arrived at the match, I was like, "This is already a success from my point of view." Because I was like, "I'm at a European Cup final," and there was something good about it. Obviously, that my dad got me the ticket in terms of collecting it, but like there was something great. But I felt not the fact that like I felt as if like I'd spent literally any money I earned. I put it into this and I was like actually was there and I was like do you know what I'm just going to enjoy it and and it's, it's even one of these where I'm obviously you, you're sick and don't get me wrong like you would have fucking it would have been great to have been celebrating and seeing the win a, win a European Cup final you know um, like the previous year it was just too far away couldn't afford Moscow and just even still in college as well just couldn't, couldn't justify it but like it sort of it was a sick night and you're kind of like but at the same time I was with my mates and I was having a bit of crack at all at the same time I was just like Barca deserved to win it on the night like there was that chance of him trying to do you know what it's one of them where I've seen that I've seen a couple of the goals back because sometimes they just flash up and different bits of when you watch games or whatever or during match like programs or whatever but I've never once had any desire to kind of go back and actually watch the game I could not tell you I remember there was something that wasn't there Tevez didn't play Tevez came on and I remember that being a bit of a, a grown but one of the main things I can remember from that game is just this commotion in the first even I think it was like in the first half of the game and it turned out that a couple of United fans got in a scrap together and one of them bit 
he bit the part of an ear off a fella not too far from uh, from where we were like and that kind of sparked a bit of a, a bit of a melee in and around us and stuff but other than that and I was even only just chatting to a couple of mates about this because remember that thing that was going around about putting a picture of yourself up at like 20 or whatever because yeah, yeah. still 20 and I've put a picture of me from that because one of my mates actually took a picture being with one of those old disposable cameras um, that makes you even feel older but like uh, of me just standing up whatever I think but I genuinely trying to rack my brain it's mad because only 11 years ago trying to remember much from it and I actually can't it's just it's just very very strange it just felt great to be there you know because like even a couple of years later at Wembley I remember trying to get in and I remember, I remember buying fake tickets for the game in Wembley a couple of years later the one where Paris just absolutely ripped United to bits and then trying to get in, and I got I got bumped into Wembley twice and got thrown out twice. Luckily, didn't get arrested. <laughs> Ended up watching that one in the bookies in the Ladbrokes near Wembley Way. So, to be honest, even though we got beaten, at least I got in in 2009 and beat out my mates and stuff. But yeah, disappointing. But as you say, like you managed to see me managed to see the team win the European Cup the year before, even though it was on the telly. And but yeah, so yeah, so even though even even though they lost, like got to go, got to go and see a European Cup final. Got to go yeah. go with me, me mates. So. I can't, I won't complain about it for too long. I know, like, the next year, my team, Fulham, made the UEFA Cup final, and I was oh, doing man. the leaving, sir, and I was like, oh, no, I can't go, there's no point even trying, I can't go. And now I'm looking back, it's like, why, did, I should have just said, fuck the leaving, sir, and just gone, you know what I mean? Like, Because <laughs> now you look back and you're like, oh, man, that was once in a lifetime kind of stuff. So, I mean, oh. who knows, like, you know, the, the amount of chances you get in your life to see your team in a European final it's exactly. obviously extremely rare. I mean, it, it, I remember seeing on the TV at the time before the game started and there was like police baton charging fans in the ground. Now, were you privy to that at the time? Could you see that? Were you? Was that anywhere near you or did that just pass can, you by? I can remember, not that, I, I genuinely didn't see anything like that now in terms yeah. of even with aggro with police. I remember walking walking around Rome for ages and then getting on like... I don't know if it was like if if it was a shuttle bus. It felt like as if it was a shuttle bus because it got dropped us near enough to where uh, dropped us a bit away from the ground and then walking and we were getting them back because that would to, to just to add insult to injury at the end of the game and we we're getting getting trying to get these buses back. Like, uh, other than that fella biting your man, <laughs> other than the United fan biting the United fan, it, it passed off pretty peacefully. I thought like there was no grief from even like say local Roma, Roma heads or whatever, but. I can't remember if it was, I can't remember the exact reason why, but there was a delay afterwards getting out of the ground, and we were we were supposed to head back to Pisa. A few of us and a couple of the lads we were staying with did. They managed to get back, and a few me and a couple of the lads, few of the lads, ended up having to keep having have to keep on the floor of Rome Termini Station, um, because we'd missed the uh, we'd missed the last train, you know, um. And when we're going walking around near the, near the train station, even just look and see if we could stay in a, a bar or something. But by that point, the place was pretty pretty quiet. Fucking smashed at that point as well. Broke so like just needed to get back to the uh, get back to the pizza. So I remember we got like a train back, slept on the floor, like got a train back first thing. I think it was must be the first train back that the next morning, and then had another day or so in pizza, and then was home to was home to Dublin. So. Yeah, it was like there was a lot of in the build up to that where we were saying about the police. It was a big thing talking about about like kind of the amount of police that be around and and like the, the, the kind of what they were expecting in terms of trouble. But 
from what I remember of the trip, it was it was good crack. It was a good laugh. Obviously, apart from the apart from the results, but sure, you know, you know, the football sometimes is not always the most important thing in these in these times, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think sometimes it needs it takes more than football to like get somebody to spend, you know, like like the amount of money that people spend following the team in you know, for a normal Champions League match. Away yeah. From home. But I mean, at the, at the end of the game, obviously everything else was, you know, you had a great time and a, and a laugh and you made the most out of it. But at the end of the game, do, do you remember like your feelings? Like it seemed to me like it was a real gut punch for United fans because I mean, we've all seen teams get hammered, but this felt different somehow. Like it was the biggest two nil hammering, you know, that I've ever seen. You know what I mean? Like, cause it was just, it seemed so wild like that, that, you know, Paris a team just yeah, Paris just passed past United off the park. I don't because like, even because I genuinely and like I know obviously we're pointing this chat about, but like United started well and United kind of came came at them and then obviously uh, Etu scored that goal, which kind of was the was the signal, you know what you call it. But that just settled Paris down. But it was a strange one because I do remember I do remember just sort of when we were when we were coming out. Just thinking, well, you got beat by a better team, like you know what I mean. Like so, some if it probably would have been worse if you thought, Jesus, they were there for the take and or whatever. But like it was sort of like even a couple of years later, we, you can have no complaints, you know. But I suppose like yeah, I think I remember when Messi did score that goal as well. And you kind of just you you remember like just thought like, well, that's that's pretty much the uh, that's pretty much the end of it, you know. You didn't see United coming back and. You can't even blame the heat because it wasn't. It was it was warm, but it wasn't like a mad. It wasn't as if you're thinking, "Oh, Jez, they're going to suffer here because it's it's so hot." Like it did. The temperatures did drop and stuff as well, and it wasn't. It wasn't that bad. So it was just a fair better team, and let's just hold your hands up to that, you know. Yeah, I remember when that, especially when Messi scored because it was. I think he had never scored against the English team before that, and also it was like, "Oh well, he's you no, know, he's not great in the air." And then like, boom, yeah, one fell swoop. Just and then I was kind of like, "Well, if that's happening, <laughs> there's no hope here." Well, uh, yeah, it was just it, 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 again like the uh, overriding. Even just thinking about it now was you never felt other than that forced opening. I think it was maybe 10, 10 minutes or so. You never felt as if United actually were going to get out now after that because Barca just passed, were passing it and popping it around. And they gave it a header. Like you wouldn't even have to be good in the air to score, not to score because like you just picked them out perfectly. You peeled off Ferdinand and it was just I'm fair. It was a great header. Like he directed it back into the corner. It was, it was a great goal, but it was just one of them where. Like I'm sure, like I'm sure. I remember actually only watched that documentary about Barcelona with Pep to take the ball past the ball, and just even listening to Carrick talking about it, and he he kind of was saying to me being able to at least make peace with the fact that yeah you you lose those two games, but like you're losing them to at that at that point like because Barcelona did the treble that year, you know that was them at their at their reaching the zenith really under under Guardiola, and they were still went on to even do more. Like that was them at their not quite even though they didn't treble like they, they still were able to go to win go to a next level but even that level they were at i think it was just a bit too good for united and yeah like that was that's basically it. i've tried not to think about it too much, too much since <laughs> well, sorry for bringing it back up all these, these know, years just to say because what, what the point you made there about about like about people spending money and all the rest of it and okay, i know i've had a talk with me from same times oh you go over and stuff to support an english team like i do actually support League of League of Ireland team as well, and I cover the League of Ireland now. But I don't know, like what I find sometimes maybe is I don't know if, if people who write about football more so in England or whatever. I don't think they kind of maybe understand sometimes 
about actual football supporters and that's it sounds so strange to say that and it probably sounds me being a bit like I don't know patronising or just being a bit kind of I don't know arsey saying it but like the way they go on about some about fans and all the rest of sometimes or the game or understanding I just you feel you wonder if sometimes maybe if lads actually properly follow the team and understand because they must all have that a lot of lads must have that have a love of it a love of a team to even be to be interested in football at the start some, obviously some people just have the love of the love of the game and kind of be similar where if there's a game on telly I'll just, I'll just watch it but like I think sometimes maybe I don't think I, th- I think some supporters maybe the length that some fellas do go to I'm not talking about me in this but even just other people that kind of who, who go over it's almost as if well do they actually matter like you know especially now you see it at the moment where talking about restarting football without supporters just because it's obviously it's the television money is the television money is king and just doesn't sit doesn't sit right really at all to be honest. Like it's you watch games without fans there and it's not the same at all. Like it's it's just watching tele so like watching a television show really, isn't it? And that's suppose that's what it is for some people, but it just doesn't feel right. I was at the match last year between Man United and Barcelona at Old Trafford. You know, my mum got me and my brother's tickets for our birthdays and, and it was I was obviously so excited to go because I was like this is deadly I'm gonna get finally get to see Messi I'll get to see Pogba I'll get to see all these deadly players um and it was so boring <laughs> it was so unbelievably yeah. boring and not in the way that a lot of Pep Guardiola teams are boring in the sense that they just dominate a game and they close it out and they keep the ball and there's not really a contest between two teams it was just boring in the sense that they got their goal in way goal and they decided let's shut this down i'm going to throw on i think was it vidali threw on and yes. yeah ernesto vivaldi was the manager and he yeah that and that was just basically the way they played under valverde which is totally different so i mean that's quite a contrast isn't it like we're, we're talking a decade on and you know they kind of i don't want to say they abandoned all their values on the pitch but they've definitely like changed in a lot of ways yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. Like, I almost say they're trying to cling on to what they had with Pep, but it gets diluted throughout the next manager, the next manager, and to where there's still the players who are influential that were still there. Like, PK was, was there, so when Xavi and Nesta were there for the long haul. So, as the managers kept coming and as they were leaving, it was getting diluted the style of play, but the main players still wanted to keep the same kind of. The, that's that's their style. That's their identity. But other managers had different ideas compared to what players they had available and what they could do or what their vision of the game was. So I know they tried to keep that kind of ethos of managers who have a, a link to the club. But you know, under Valverde, it just he was over cautious. You know, like you said, he, he bringing on the extra midfield as soon as they got their head there on the front, that seemed to be his his trademark. As it went on, I know he won. He won everything, but it was it was the style that was always questioned. And you can look back on the Guardiola era for trophies, but Valverde won trophies as well. But which era are you going to remember? You're definitely not going to remember the Valverde ones. Absolutely, because it's funny, because now it's like Barcelona, they win trophies almost as a matter of fact. Like they've won two doubles in a row, which would, you know, if you had said 15 years ago, oh, you know, that that's going to become, you know, the norm. For Barcelona, I'm sure a lot of Barcelona fans would have snapped your hand off and gone like, "Yes, thank you. Like, we'll take that." 
you know, considering there was a few barren years there. I think it was, what was it the, between like the seventies and nineties? They'd only won like one title or two titles or something like that. Yeah, that's it. And even European qualification was a cause for big celebration back then. So it just goes to show you how the mentality of the club changed and what Cruyff did to the club as well in terms of not just the style of football, but the you know you, you win, but you win this way as well. So you rather win six five, was that the same? Rather win six five than one nil. So. Yeah, I wanted to bring that style, just not just the end product, which most clubs are kind of focused towards now. And just two doubles in a row, like was unheard of back then. You know, you're you're clinching to a Rivaldo hat trick just to get into Europe, things like this. So yeah, like it's it's a different world now, different pressures, I suppose. So and the change at the top of the club as well didn't help. You know, Guardiola was last year, the stresses and strains were starting to show and you know that was the beginning of the end really for that that generation of that era yeah this, this is like a recurring thing with barcelona it's like every every time like they have a successful period you know and i think it happened you know the first time rhinus Mikels and cruyff came along and then when cruyff was manager it happened again and when guardiola was manager it happened again where the politics seems to take over and a good period is followed immediately by a really like dark cloud where they, they I think they call it the Intorno or whatever, isn't it? Like it's like yeah. where just like this swirling kind of vortex of I don't even know how to describe it. Like it's just politics and and backroom shenanigans and everything else just takes over and becomes bigger than the football, and um, which should never happen. And I don't know whether it's egos or it's just the pressure, but it seems to happen every time Barcelona have a successful period like this. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, the way it keeps coming across to me. The more I think about, it, is they build something, it gets successful, then they almost try to be too clever, or they get too big for their boots, or they think that they're all powerful. And then you know, it's time before the storm, and the cam is usually winning the trophies, which just sums Barcelona up, especially at the moment. And they're obviously before this uh, the pandemic outbreak, they're trying to bring the elections forward to. Move out the, the current board because of the disaster it's, it's been. So, and then we see Porta looking to come back as well and promising Guardiola. And that name in was clever. That'll buy him a bit out as well. So, yeah, it's, it's just, it's like to get too, get too big, get, try to overthink or get too clever and it just it falls apart. So, I guess that's probably part of what's kept my interest in, in Barca for so long is the soap opera around it as well as some of the magic on the pitch. That's that's kind of the perfect word for it, I think. Is it's a soap opera. Like it's never boring with Barcelona, I find. Like there's always something, whether it's to do with, you know, the type of football they're playing or the background politics or, you know, even Catalan independence is something that comes up rather frequently these days. There's always something to talk about with uh, Barcelona. Do you think in a strange way, like obviously nobody hates winning Champions Leagues, but the way that it happened with Barcelona you know, and how they, they grew into this massive, you know, phenom. Like that, maybe it was like, it was just like not a great thing in the end because Barcelona ended up going so far away from, you know, their values as a club, um, you know, having, you know, being you know sponsored by Qatar and, you know, making the big money spending. The, the, I think the Neymar transfer is a big example in this where like obviously, you know, there was a lot more money spent on that than they declared and, and that became a huge thing in itself. Like, 
do you see it as kind of like because the club tried to to capitalize on the success and and that became like the the only thing that was important from my perspective anyway that it was like the only thing that's important now is winning champions leagues and basically becoming like real madrid like whereas like this is the only thing that's important and we will do anything to do it and success is all that matters so we're just gonna do whatever it takes even if it's dodgy to to win yeah, I, I know what you mean. I think I don't think the board, the players, even depending on your generation, would have, would have witnessed such a successful period or a, a game-changing period overall. So you not don't really know how to react in that situation to stay on top as the cycle comes to an end. So I think that's kind of the overthinking as well. Like you said, that the Neymar transfer and going for the big names and basically abandoning. Lamasia as well, and I don't think they knew how to to move on to the next phase of keeping the team successful and fresh because of the heights they reached. They were never going to stay at them heights where you win six trophies a year. But to keep fresh, keep competitive spirit in the side, you know, the players themselves then would have a lot of influence as well, which we know. So I think because of the heights they reached and the fact that they change the game so much like I said they, it's how do you keep that going while it's coming to an end or how do you extend it so they kind of well, they were they were the best team in the world like everyone kind of accepts that they were they were probably the best team of all time even though they won you know in inverted commas only two Champions Leagues I mean they should have really won four in a row from 2009 to 2012 but I mean like you said it is it's how do you maintain that how do you keep that rolling is extremely difficult and I think they probably made a few bad choices along the way I'm 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 not a Barcelona fan the way I was as a kid anymore I've kind of become distanced from them since since uh, my childhood but I do feel awfully sad that they've wasted the best years of of Lionel Messi and this is you know like since they've had Lionel Messi they've won four Champions Leagues so I mean that's a big statement to say but I feel like the last like five years since since basically since their last Champions League win they have royally wasted the greatest player of all time. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, I think Valverde, even though we criticize the style of play at times, knew how to shape the team up around to get the best out of Messi, and there comes the trophies, the doubles. But it, it just I keep I can't get away from the fact that the board it just it's such a mess that the decisions they made, you know, this is a change of sporting director seems every few months and. No one knows what direction the club is going. The players maybe have too much influence over the managers um, or who gets bought. Losing Neymar in such a stupid way, you know, it's just, it, just, it doesn't reflect well on the club. And Messi stayed and won the Messi trophies. But again, the comparisons we made to, you know, what's this Champions League hall for? They should should have cleared up basically. Well, I, mean, over the I mean, we mentioned the last dance. I mean, they should have been doing a Michael Jordan on it and winning you know, three in a row and, and another three in a row and another three in a row. Like they should have been doing, like, I just feel like when you have the best player in the world like that, you know, everything should be about just capitalizing on it and making the best possible decisions for the team. But look, that's, that's yeah, exactly. That's where you are. I mean, the thing about this success now, you know, the thing about being 11 years on since this final happened is that we can now very clearly see the effect that team and that manager has had on football 
over a period of time do you feel like that Barcelona team has had a huge influence on on European football and world football as a whole since then yeah definitely I mean you look down the leagues especially in England since they arrived at City the basic I know from the back which everyone tries to do a second nature and not everyone can replicate is, is kind of one instance of how the game has changed like they, they see the game in a different way you know, you can still play different ways and play to your strengths as a team, but even down to something as small as trying to keep possession as much, playing trio front, even down to the grassroots level, you know, teams are trying to take bits of what they can from that. So, like, definitely one of the best teams I've ever seen, if not the best, and influence on football is that Guardiola has had is kind of immeasurable at times when you see the influence throughout countries that he's been in. So, yeah, definitely just it's a different sport almost. Right, uh, we'll go to a couple more of the, the Twitter questions. Your brother James, he also asked, uh, how does the tie go if United hold out nil all for the first half? I mean, that's a you know, that's a huge hypothetical, but I mean, would they have even, was there any chance they'd even make it to the, the halftime mark scoreless? I don't know. How do you think, do you think it, it might have gone any differently? Do you think Barcelona might have gotten a bit nervous? Nervous, probably not, because if, looking back to that semi-final that we talked about, that's one, you know, they were, basically getting knocked out for 99% of the toy and they kept playing their own way they kept playing until they just got that one chance so I think even at nil all at half time they would have just kept playing looking for that option the extra man the little space in between the channels of the fullbacks so you know nil all at half time maybe you know you could catch their breath a bit reorganise the front line noticing that Ronaldo was getting a bit of space and having a couple of shots so maybe they could have changed things then but I still think Barcelona will ward them down eventually I, th- I think so as well. I think United would need to go with a different game plan altogether, which brings me to at Garrett underscore 0504. He sent two tweets and they're kind of long, but it's more of a statement than a question. But he's saying if they had played Scholes in for Anderson and Raphael instead of John O'Shea, would they have you know, given Barcelona more of a rattle with their uh, attacking qualities? The Scholes one, I definitely I don't think that would have made much of a difference because Anderson was had the legs to get on the pitch more than Scholes at the time. And then when Scholes was introduced, you saw the tackle on, I think it was Busquets, which could have been a red in itself. It was pretty wild. So I think Scholes wouldn't have had the legs to stay with the Barca midfield. And Raphael at right back, I suppose his pace probably could have helped, but the movement of Barca front three, I don't think it would have mattered what forwards played across the back because they just did not have to deal with this false nine position and he was picking up who and their players are running them deep but yeah like it's a good point you look at the bench and you can go through each player to make a case of how they could have made a difference in hindsight which you can make a case for every one of them playing and everyone making a difference and the same with it was uh, even with Fletcher being suspended so yeah it just it just you kind of question the team selection and we've spoken a couple of times though would Ferguson do things different and I think looking back he would Absolutely. Well, I think we've exhausted the 2009 Champions League final. We've definitely gone way over what we uh, wanted, you know, the amount of time that we wanted to allot to this uh, episode. But sure, look, or a team it's, like it's great. Yeah, exactly. You know, you have to take your time reminiscing on a, on a team like Pep Guardiola's Barcelona. 
it's time for our nostalgia hit. Every episode we talk about something that that kind of made us feel nostalgic for the past. Uh, for me, I'm I'm kind of cheating because la- in the last episode I basically was talking about retro and classic video games, and I'm still on that buzz. And I've been playing Grand Theft Auto San Andreas this week, so that's been getting me nostalgic for the past. I completed GTA Vice City recently, so I'm kind of running through all those games and. I'm playing other ones like I uh, I completed Crash Bandicoot 2, so I'm definitely getting through all the retro games uh, at the minute. Uh, what about you, Daryl? Was there anything that made you feel nostalgic this week? Yeah, there's a, there a couple of things. Um, when you mentioned the retro game, and I, I dusted off the old the original Nintendo, and no way. Yeah, me and the uh, two year old. Which which Nintendo actually was that? Are you talking about the NES, the SNES? The NES, yeah, the the, the old school one with Mario and yeah. Duck Hunt. So you dusted that off and you played a bit of Mario 3 and you had the, the original Sega as well. So he was getting into nice. Mario, Mario and Sonic and those two. So yeah, it was a proper throwback and he was commentating all the way through. gave him a controller. Then uh, when he had enough of that, then I think it was an old, he found the old Turtles game on the NES. And then they're asking about that. So we start watching a couple of the old original Turtles cartoons. So he's been uh, singing the Turtles song nonstop for... <laughs> 24-7 and Alexa is just getting screened at any time the turtles is on. So yeah, a bit of a nostalgia buzz myself the last couple of weeks, which has been it, fun. It's definitely one of those songs I think they've written so that kids would be like, Need Age Mutant Ninja Turtles, because they'll want to just sing it again and again and again. So they're crafty bastards, I think. Yeah, I definitely, I remember, do you think, did everyone have a... Mario and Duck Hunting, because those are the two games I remember definitely. I had the, I had the you know the the fake gun, the orange oh, gun yeah. that they give you, and you shoot the screen. Yeah, I forgot. I spent so long on that, and some other like motorbike, motorcycle game. I think as well. Like yeah, that was class. Though now I I, I play I, I have one of those mini Nezes, but I can never play it because a lot of the games I remember I go back and I go, oh actually these games aren't very good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's a couple in the collection, all right. I think there was a, a Batman I had in the collection, and you're just looking at the screen on, like, no idea what's going on here. <laughs> it doesn't quite <laughs> transport onto the, the modern tellies, but yeah, I think the, the Mario Duck Hunt was the two in one game with that came out, I think, the NES when you bought remember now but yeah yeah i forgot that yeah it's a two-in-one game that's the one yeah you've come out with some good nostalgia hits there so daryl it was uh brilliant having you on hopefully we'll have you on again some other time we'll get you on to talk about real madrid next time <laughs> don't worry i have a few uh few notes on them too them as well that'll be, be it would be my pleasure to go back on and thanks very much for having me that was a great little trip down memory lane Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles